0: My name's Blake Hargreaves, and this is Future Stops. You're hearing the unmistakable sound of the Hammond B3 organ, an instrument that, in the decades following its invention, changed the sound of music in both the sacred and the secular worlds. Starting as a less expensive alternative to the pipe organs that were out of reach for working-class black Christian churches, the Hammond organs seemed to have a unique ability to sonically fit into the creation of a black gospel tradition during the Great Migration as if it enhanced a particular black spiritual identity and ultimately was instrumental in spreading and shaping that identity as it infiltrated the secular arts. Today on Future Stops, we explore the history of this versatile instrument and the impact it has both on the world of music in general and on one of our favorite organ players, Alsi Chris, who grew up hearing and eventually playing a Hammond organ, accompanying Sunday morning masses.
1: Well, it's really interesting because it's hard to know when some facts and realities come into your, you know, existence when you're a child. But my dad is a United Methodist minister, he was at the time. And I grew up basically going to church every Sunday, but I was way more familiar with the piano just because it was an instrument that was pretty, you know, easily understandable to me. But I knew of the existence of this two manual monster, you know, this two keyboard monster. That quite frankly, now that I think about it, I must have been quite intimidated of it. And now that I know later, that was actually a Hammond organ. It was like a light brown Hammond organ from the 1950s or 60s. And you know, all I knew is that the thing just had so much capability, and um, I was so eager to learn how to play it. This was at Morningside United Methodist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. So funny, I never thought I'd mention that church again. But that was the church I most remember as a child growing up, once I was able to make memories, it was at that church. And because my mother was in the choir, I was often dragged along to choir rehearsal. And this is where I think these instruments sort of came into my being without me really even having a lot of agency of it, because my own introduction into music all seemed very, very natural. So I think this was probably the inception moment for what I am today, was my experiences at this church as a young kid. It was probably less the organ itself and more its function in the service. I mean, it was a very powerful instrument. I kind of understood, you know, the the power it could have to kind of take over the entire atmosphere or really add to the atmosphere of worship. And this was a, you know, not super Pentecostal, but definitely on the line of being kind of baptist Black church. So a lot of drums, you know, we had a drummer tambourine. People would be dancing very rhythmic music, gospel music, we would call it. So it wasn't just the instrument itself. It was also the medium that was just so a part of my being, the gospel music. It was like almost a part of the identity, my Christian identity and my racial identity in some ways. Um, The Hammond organ was like, it felt, I hate to say, in my little reality in Texas, where I was surrounded by a lot of black people, it seemed to me like it was a black organ. And I say that cautiously, because I know there are plenty of artists uh, of many different races who have made it sing.
0: The history of this instrument in working class black culture originates in Chicago, where the first Hammond organ was made in 1935. In the years after this, Reverend Clarence Cobbs starts to incorporate the organ, amplified by four Leslie speakers, into his services at the now legendary First Church of Deliverance on the south side of Chicago. Johari Jabir is an associate professor of Black Studies at the University of Illinois in Chicago. He studies the history of this instrument and its place in working-class Black culture, tracing it right back to those Sunday services on the south side of Chicago.
2: When Reverend Cobbs and First Church remodeled this, this new version of the church at 43rd and Wabash, which is where it is now, the inside of the church has a very ornate altar. So it has it has the look of an Episcopal kind of high Anglican church on the inside. But then you have this instrument that has the capacity to sound very Gothic. And the way that you achieve that playing at First Church is you you turn the pedals up. You emphasize the pedal work. So that makes it sound very dark. But also what it does is if they're singing upbeat with a kind of swing, you know, you you could hear somebody playing that instrument and the pedal work sounds like walking an acoustic bass. So it means that the organ is facilitating a kind of black syncretism of sorts. You know, this church looks like this one thing, but the culture of the music is the blues, it's jazz, it's all of these other things. And so what captured my mind is how this instrument becomes a kind of ritual instrument for a sense of black holiness. And I don't mean holiness in in the sense of, of doctrine or denomination, I mean the way that music ushers in the presence of the divine among people, but what um what i'm never I'm never lost on is that black people are creating a medicine out of poison. It was never the intention that enslaved black Africans would be able to even be Christians. That was never the intention, and so it is always that the religion of these black working class people is a great example for how religion is creative and dynamic and not static. So it means that, for example, someone like Reverend Cobbs, who I regard as a kind of mystic and even, you know, a contemplative kind of person, um, he is arriving from the South. And many of these folks are arriving in, you know, this first chapter of the Great Migration, and they are bringing with them kind of folk magic of spirituality, forms of conjure, and they have a a liturgical sense, a sense of worship um, that allows for mystery, right? And so the ambiance at First Church and the way this instrument accompanies that sensibility of a Black folk religion come up north. And, and First Church was very unique. It is a spiritual church, and that is a particular strain in Black Christianity that allows for the metaphysical, but also the mystical. So the organ, you know, the Hammond B. 3, helped to facilitate that.
0: The unique spiritual character of this church was matched by a unique form of outreach, a syndicated radio broadcast of Sunday services that could be heard all across the United States.
2: Well, the process has very much to do with the radio popularity of First Church. There is a version of the Lord's Prayer that actually, you know, hearing how it was arranged um, by one of the conductors at First Church. That version of the Lord's Prayer grew in churches across the country. radio helped to facilitate a particular black style of worship that was emblematic of Reverend Cobb's and First Church. It was literally a place, a church that embraced everybody from all backgrounds. Unlike many Chicago black churches that were very much about class,
1: Well, to be honest with you, I was really bad at the Hammond organ when I first tried it. And I think it's because it was like I had to learn a lot more about harmony before I was ready to tackle the beast. So for me, some pretty elementary introductions to the organ, like basically playing hymns and things like that. But it's like even learning the draw bars, I had no idea. Like, all I was going off of is, like, shapes I had seen the other organists do. Like, I didn't even understand the concept of, like, you know, how much you measure out a pipe to get what pitch. So there was a lot of, like, guesswork. It was almost like an unknown machine that I was learning to um, navigate. But I tell you, the more I got these church songs into my system, and I got these revolving harmonies into my system, um, the more I felt really at home.
2: The, the way that it was taught to me is that church music has to have a very expensive diet. And so as a musician, you had to graduate to different levels, but the beginning was the hymns. You had to learn the hymns first and foremost. And you had to learn them very simply. You know, not a lot of room for razzmatazz or extras, but you had to learn them because it is shaping you to be an accompanist.
1: pipe organ world, as far as sort of mainstream Protestant Catholic religion, the organ has the role of coming in when it's supposed to. And in some cases, a lot of people do improvise on the pipe organ to fill in time, but there's really sort of an established structure for how the service will go, and the organ is supposed to serve its role in those places. And that goes all the way back, you know, to 17th century France and their genres for organ. They were always specified for a part of the service. I think in the black church, what I picked up on really early on is that the organist actually has the job of accompanying pretty much the entire service. And it's very few times where the organ will ever be told to shut up, which is, I find very interesting, which is that the pastor really expects that the organist is going to follow sort of the tone that he set up. And there's kind of this tug and pull between building tension either through a sermon or through, you know, if it's a testimony or something where you're wondering, okay, is the pastor ready for me to pick up the energy? And so you're taking these signs from each other and this this it's this dynamic process where you can really, you know, have the people to come along with you as you're sort of teasing the emotion. So the kind of organ you would play before the service for a prayer will be very different than what you're going to play at the climax of past service, you know what I mean. You
2: know, in, in the context that I was raised, these um, these people had a way of going from in the in one service, it felt like we started in a monastic space, but we ended in in the juke joint. It, it it was quite remarkable, and we began and we were talking about you know the flexibility that in a in a service workplace like First Church you'd have a very high church anthem, but you'd also have a really gritty gospel in the same service. So I, I was I was very much shaped as a young musician by that same aesthetic. You know you, you really are when you're playing it. You really it is an intuition that you learn. When to make these adjustments. That's different than when you're reading a score or an organ piece, and you know, okay, I pull this stop now because it, it tells you to do that. Yeah, and so this this kind of intuition, I think is, I think for the best organ play Hammond B3 players, as I've listened over the years. I mean, it means that. You know, depending how seriously you take that, that this is a kind of priestly work on this instrument. I know there are certain ways that I can adjust that instrument, and there are things that I can do that can push this preacher to another level.
1: And it's... It's really interesting because they actually follow some pretty simple conventions on the surface some pretty simple, simple or progressions that you could go from church to church and say, this is how it goes. But the problem is, is that this is very much a oral tradition, so you just learn by listening. And I think that is where I'm trying to catch up a lot is because there's so much that I know, but that I really want to like you know, understand at a deeper level because it's not written down. And I it's not that I write these things down, but now that I find myself having to teach my students, they like, oh, can you teach me how to play this Corey Henry lick? You know, things like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can hear it and I can play it, but to explain to you how to do it and what's going on here, I think that's the the tough part with the gospel music, which is you have to be a part of the lived tradition. You have to know the pastor and you have to like be in that moment of creating a spiritual atmosphere to really understand the concept of how the organ is used.
2: You know these um, these Africans who come from many different tribes and a diverse um, language, right? And they are brought here involuntarily into this land of volunteerism. It is always the paradox, and. Um, The question that always holds me is how are they able to make a Black community out of so much diversity? Um, Well, in part, they all have this musical sensibility that is practiced in the ring shout, the counterclockwise song, dance, drum, and story. And, you know, arriving on a plantation where you don't know the language what you are given immediately is likely a tool. And so what do the already present population of those enslaved people do is that they've already been creating songs about those tools and about those tasks. Well, that's a knowledge. that That's a way of knowing to do that. And that helped to create a oneness out of a vast diversity. So that, you know, that's a part of the cargo on those ships, as well, is this knowledge, this way of knowing.
0: As a tool for music making, the Hammond organ has unique characteristics, which were considered imperfections by the company. When they updated the instrument's mechanical technology to solid state in the 1970s, people lost interest in it and the company went bankrupt in 1985. The mechanical technology that was so beloved revolves around the rotating tone wheel, which is a sort of magnetic gear whose teeth vibrate a pickup to produce sound electrically. When tone wheels right next to each other play simultaneously, we hear the sound of tone wheel leakage, which adds tones and overtones to the played pitches, enriching the sound with what Jabir calls grit.
2: The pipe organ cannot achieve
0: the grit that the Hammond does.
2: Um, I think that grit, really the evidence of black working class aesthetics, It goes back to where we earlier spoke about syncretism. and what, you know, what I see in, in the spirituality of this culture, you know is an embrace of sensuality, though not at the sacrifice of intellectualism. So' both the sort of erotic and the intellectual. And as it pertains to the Hammond organs, here's an instrument that they would have, at the start of the service, would have sounded very high church. But by midway through, it would have, you know, been very down home. So they're not dividing, you understand what I mean? They're not making the division that it's only this thing. Um, Having an instrument that can do more than one thing, you know, helps to facilitate a consciousness that is open and not not loyal to one particular thing at the opposition of another.
1: When I was playing for my dad, of course, he didn't use music for anything. It was all played by ear, it was all all played in like a R&B gospel, or you know, jazzy style. What happened when I went to play the pipe organ, at least in the professional setting, is that there were a lot of rules, like a lot. And it was jarring. And I didn't really fight it at first. I wasn't like, oh, I want to do this. I think I was pretty eager to be like, oh, let me figure out how this is actually supposed to be done, you know? So I was like a sponge. It's like, I really wanted to learn the way you're supposed to, you know, quote unquote, play the organ. But like I was saying, the starkest difference was that, especially for congregational singing, they did not want you to deviate much from what was written on the score. It's just this idea that the harmony is always supposed to be very, very clear where you're going, where you're at. In most cases, you have people singing in parts. They have to play each voice and each hand the right way every time. Don't you know mess it up. Well, this is kind of hard because I've been hardwired to do the exact opposite thing because on the Hammond organ, I think the thing that marks the style of playing is that harmony is basically kind of a puddle. I think you could say it's a bit of a puddle because any relations you might have between, you know, dominant key structures. I mean, I don't hope I'm not getting too technical here, but if you're in a key, you're considered being in the one. And you have many predominance and dominants you can use. You can go to the four or to the five. But the thing is, in the black church, you kind of just combine it all. So, like, there's just highly, highly, highly saturated dominant chords because it builds tension. And it is not so clear where you're going. So, when you have more saturated textures, you really can move harmony in ways that you can't when you're using four-part, you know, hymn-like harmony. that means that you're constantly kind of having the ability to play with people's expectations harmonically. And I think it's that aspect of total like harmonic saturation that really kind of, I had to turn off a little bit on the pipe organ. But the funny thing is, is that playing those hymns in four parts, it was actually really easy for me to improvise in a classical style. Because when you learn the gospel harmonies, and when you go back to four-part harmony, it's really kind of like going on vacation. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's often harder for me to get some of the more difficult gospel um, substitutions that I might hear in certain recordings, because you really have to like listen for every single note. You're like, oh, man, what is that cool color he's got there? And in most cases, it might be a 10-note chord.
2: It's a really sharp break that the Hammond can do in a much shorter time. And, um, and it, it also has kind of piercing um, that it can do um, because it has a, a, a really quick way to adjust the tremolo and the vibrato. So, um, that in and of itself, if we think of how people hear music, right, as a sound wave and vibration so um my sense is that you know somebody who plays it and i'm I'm more of a pianist than an organist but um but those vibrations that the hammond can access more easily i i think make it make it distinct
1: i was taking a hammond organ lesson once and i was asking the guy how to spell you know a simple d flat chord and the guy gets on the thing and he basically plays every single black key on the (laughs) On the organ, and it's like you know this really saturated um, chord with nines and sevenths, and kind of a lot of what we would call polytonality. Um, it's always as if if you're in D flat major, for instance, you're always strongly implying F minor over it, which is a you know just a jazz thing to do to in- imply the minor three over a major one, but it's taken to the extreme almost always. So, yeah, it's really interesting, but also the notion that you have to control the dynamics far more dramatically than you would if you were playing the pipe organ. So using the Leslie and using, you know, the draw bars, kind of like almost using them more than you actually play the notes. I mean, you can look at some Hammond players. They'll be holding one note for a minute and, you know, hitting draw bars for another two. So it's also using the the instruments dynamic range to your your benefit in a lot of cases some of the best ham and organ playing is not what's being done on the keyboards but what's been doing what they're doing with dynamics and you know what we would call the toys of the instrument um and people react to that immediately because it's it's almost like the conventions of a singer you know the ability to have the vibrato to go really slow to really fast or to go from you know a tiny little whisper up to, you know, the Roaring Hammond sound within a matter of seconds. It's just immediately gets people moving. And I don't know why that is, but it's, it has the power to literally change people in the moment. It's pretty amazing.
0: Alcy's love of the Hammond and his upbringing playing gospel music in a Texas church colors his approach to the pipe organ. At the Canadian International Organ Competition in 2017, where Alcy took home the grand prize, He surprised the judges and audience alike by performing an art Tatum composition he arranged for pipe organ in the final round, straying far beyond the repertoire one would expect at a competition of this nature.
1: As of recently, my favorite Tatum transcription that I've made is the T for two because it's just so fun and so virtuosic and uh, it just works really well on the organ. If we want to get into the technicalities of the arrangement, the most difficult part is to get the stride piano sound on the organ, which you would think would be easy, right? Because you have a foot, you can play the bass in your foot. The problem is, is that you don't have that quick percussive sound readily available in the middle range of the organ. You know what I mean? It's like once you drop below middle C, which is a very good sounding area for the tenor range of the piano, where you get that stride sound of the bass kind of plucking and then having those inner voices in the you know upper fingers of the left hand. It's really difficult because it's that to get that sound of like doom, cha, doom, cha, cha, is actually quite difficult on the organ. So then what I elected to do was to actually take the idiom itself backwards a little bit. To say, okay, let's do more of a fat Waller idiom that kind of did work the sort of like boom chob base with the more percussive thing in the left hand. Um, so it became like Fats Waller, like in the skeletal version, but all the meat and potatoes on the arrangement was Tatum because all the harmonies were Tatum and not all the licks were Tatum. I didn't fully transcribe it. There's a lot of stuff in there. I would say probably half of it is not Tatum. There's only like a couple of specific licks that are like ripped straight from him. A lot of it is just taking his harmonic structures, which are freaking amazing, and just playing around those. The other thing being is that some of those Tatum licks are so far flung down the piano, they have to be either recomposed or brought down the octave because they just go out of the range of the organ. And in some cases, I actually sampled like classical organ pieces. There's like a, a random snippet of Vierne five, like a random chord progression. <laughs> Vierne five in there. Um, I bring I kind of bring all of my influences into that arrangement. You know, what I like is what I put down in there. But I think for the T for two, the way we mic'd it and plus, you know, me doing that super full percussive effect, it works. And I'll tell you one trick I'm doing, which is very unheard of. I'm basically coupling all of the dissonant mutations. Like I'm talking the gross Tiers, the Septium, all the really, you know, the what is it, the a quint, five and a third, basically using all of those in the pedal, trying to get as much pop as humanly possible. I over-register the pedal. I have to. I I take it up to its very limit without using reeds because you have to have the, like you have to be able to hear that bass drum. You know what I mean? With every downbeat. And then in the hands, in the left hand, I'm using like reed stops and they're all very short attacks as short as possible to give the strum of the guitar. just like doom, 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 doom So you'll hear that in the left hand. And then the right hand, of course, has the percussive effect, which kind of gives you the Hammond. So you have those three layers and they pretty much don't really deviate. You've got melody, you've got accompaniment, and you've got bass, which is not at all how Tatum probably would have conceived of it, even though that's what it looks like on the skeletal structure. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, an arrangement of Art Tatum's T for Two by Alsi Chris from his most recent release, Art and Rhapsody. The recording was made on the Montreal Symphony House organ, which has a special feature that aided in the difficult process of adapting a ragtime piano piece for the pipe organ.
1: The way I had to register that piece was so that I could get somewhat of like a half piano, half Hammond sound as as far as percussive effect. I actually, now this is really interesting. What I did to mimic a Hammond effect in that recording is that I found out a trick on the Montreal Symphony Hall organ. You can actually turn the organ down a key. You can transpose it. And if you transpose it, the percussive effects don't transpose with it. So, you actually have the ability to, in theory, have any percussive interval off of any note you're playing. So, I made it an interval that's actually kind of really dissonant to the ear. I made it a minor second, if I'm not mistaken. But what that did is it added that percussive shimmer that we all kind of, you know, associate with the Hammond organ is that you have that point of attack, which may not have anything to do with the actual tone that's gonna be held. But it gives you that sense of rhythm that is always missing. So my first thought is, okay, what, what kind of shadow areas? I kind of talk to my students about that. It's like these areas, these key areas that are close enough that they match the bass, but they're not saying, okay, boom. We're in G major. So you can saturate the chords with what we would call the major six and are in some cases on chords, you can just straight up play a major seventh instead of a, of a major chord. So you immediately put dissonant notes into the texture because on the hammond, it's the dissonant notes, the, the carefully picked dissonant notes that give you that flavor. And also that sense of being suspended. It doesn't need to be in rhythm. The people don't need the rhythm before um, on the Hammond organ. As opposed to on the pipe organ, you have to make sure that they hear the speed of the hymn because it's never going to change.
0: Speaking with Jahari and Alci about the fascinating history of this instrument is illuminating. Their research, knowledge, and experience opens up the story of the Hammond organ. The image of a Chicago church in the 1930s with a reverend hauling in a Hammond B3 and four Leslie speakers to animate the service with quadraphonic live sound at the very birth of stereo technology is inspiring. It also gives a lot of credence to the idea that the Hammond is really the beginning of electronic music and rock and roll because it predates the widespread popularity of the electric guitar, introducing distortion and compression to the modern listener. We'd like to thank Jahari Jabir and Alsi Chris for joining us this week and sharing their knowledge, and thank Alsi for performing the music you heard in today's show. We'd also like to thank Dr. Don Cummings for providing our intro music today, a track from Black Flower, an album by the Backtalk Organ Trio. Do you have a favorite Hammond recording? If so, we'd invite you to post a link on the Future Stops Facebook page where we can have an ongoing discussion about the many legendary performances in so many genres of the Hammond organ. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists produced by Andrew O'Connor with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves. Thank you for listening.